0: All right, so again, how people change these first really three weeks are kind of laying the foundation, if you will, right? It's kind of building out the plumbing of the house uh, before we get into the bulk of it, which is that heat root thorns fruit diagram that you guys uh, have with you. So it's going to take a few weeks to really get into that, but that's okay because this is important foundational pieces that's going to help us as we fill that out. And if you haven't gotten it yet, again, there's a much clearer HD picture of the, the diagram that, I, again, we said you can actually read this morning. So hopefully you guys get a copy of that and it blesses you. Um, <clears throat> so last week, the primary thing we looked at is that God is taking you somewhere, right? There is a future hope that, intersects, that should intersect with present day. And so what does it look like to take that future hope and to consider how that impacts present day life? This week, we're going to look at who it is that's going to get us there to that future hope and what that means for present day, and in particular, we're going to look at our relationship with Christ himself. So for this lesson, lesson two, they title it, So uh, You Are Married to Christ. To mention a couple of things before we get into this, one, you might be in a season of life where marriage is especially difficult for you, and so considering this metaphor of marriage might be painful in some unique ways. Uh, One thing to consider as we look at this is that this beautiful picture of what marriage is intended to be and how Christ perfectly loves his bride, in so many ways, the way that sin distorts that makes those painful situations that much more egregious and heartbreaking, that that is the current reality for many. And so we pray that as you consider this, it would encourage you in those ways and not discourage you as we consider that we are ultimately married to Christ. And we don't say that in a way that's trying to like lessen in any way the pain of maybe seasons that are currently difficult, but in some ways to provide some comfort with that. And then uh, do you have a word maybe to others? Yeah,
1: because you could also, you could be in a season of a really difficult marriage or you could also be in a season of longing for marriage. Maybe you're single and you would really love to be married. And so sometimes in the church when we talk about our marriage to Christ, there can be a little bit of pain there of, man, I know that that should be my ultimate comfort, but I would really like that now. And so even in that season where you are single and you might love and long for an earthly marriage, there can be just a really vivid picture of the gospel there, too. Because we're actually, in this lesson, we're going to talk about the already and the not yet and how even in our union with Christ, there's an already and a not yet element. And as a person who's here as a single on earth, you're actually a really beautiful picture of the not yet portion of marriage. So we don't want to gloss over just the beautiful things that God's doing in this season for you in ways where he may have you portray the gospel that maybe someone who's married won't be portraying Mm -hmm. the gospel in that particular way so god makes us all different parts of the body of christ we're all valuable he's using us all he's working in us all Mm -hmm. at the same time so whether you're in a difficult marriage or single right now um, we hope that this lesson is a really sweet reminder for each of you
0: of the gospel of christ yeah and even if we're in a season where things are going well might it encourage us all the more in our ultimate marriage to Christ uh, and you know uh, one of the reasons that we're even doing this class is we're trying to bring some of what happens on Wednesday nights during our equip to counsel class and just have another uh, way in which that can happen in the broader church body during an equipping hour so uh, sisters in particular there might be things that land differently on you than some brothers and so uh, that's one of the reasons Melissa's kind of you know up here Uh, with me is, hey, sisters, if you want to reach out to somebody you don't know who, Melissa would be happy to have that conversation with you or connect you to a sister that could. So certainly take advantage of that. All right. Lesson two. So you are married to Christ. And so one of the big questions we're going to look at is what daily benefits are yours because of your marriage to Christ? Reflecting on that reality, what daily benefits, what difference does it make today, this Sunday, that we are married to christ for those who are in jesus and so when you think of your relationship to jesus what for you are some of the dominant metaphors that come to mind it's helpful to reflect on that when you think of jesus what picture would you initially say this would be the picture i would give to best represent my relationship with christ is it does marriage come to mind when you think about the relationship to christ do, are there moments and seasons where the employee and boss relationship seems more dominant as you consider your relationship to Christ? Where, hey, do what you're told and you'll get paid for your hard work or you'll get demoted for poor performance and treated poorly. Or is there a way in which you can view him more as kind of a distant father or a distant landlord, right? Hey, we're just gonna, I'm going to try to, we just kind of stay out of each other's business and don't step on any toes, we're going to try to get along as we live daily life here on earth. Or as a student and teacher, right? Where you are, the primary thing is to master what you are taught. To be a master student and an ideal student. Uh, So as you think about the Christian life as a lifelong process of change and those things that come to mind, another question would be, what would you include as some key ingredients for change that are needed when it comes to growth in the Christian life? So what key ingredients come to mind as you think about the Christian life? So what dominant metaphors are there? And what are some of the key ingredients that you think about, I need this, to change? Do personal devotions come to the surface for you as you think about what's most needed for change? Does Bible study come to mind? Church attendance? Reading good books? Reading good Christian books? Being plugged into a small group or the body of Christ? Fellowship at the Lord's table? uh, Active involvement in the church? Or even personal evangelism? And so again, just like we said last week, even some of those metaphors there, while some of them are just filled with untruth, there's lots of metaphors we can consider. And even the things we just listed about these ingredients for change, all those things are very important. And I would say in many ways, they are essential to helping us grow in Christ. But what can happen is that while the Christian life is not less than those things we listed, Bible study, active engagement and fellowship, the Christian life is much, much more. All of those activities we just listed, they should help us to recognize our need for Christ and to learn to rely upon Him. So in other words, those activities in and of themselves won't automatically change us. Right? What's the purpose of all of those things? So that we can see and know and engage a person, Jesus Christ. We're studying the Word of Christ primarily. Why? So we can engage with Jesus. We want to be engaged with the body of Christ. <laughs> Again, so that we can engage with Jesus and help each other to engage with Him. We're praying that by the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, that we can know Him, and the Holy Spirit's bringing to mind things that Jesus Himself has taught. Now again, if, if any of those things that we listed are lacking, we are neglecting means of grace that God has given us to know Jesus. Right? And so I'm not saying, well, if I just feel like I'm good with Jesus, then you're in a good spot. And yet we haven't touched his word for a while. We're not actively engaged in the body of Christ. We we don't even consider the significance of communion in the the Lord's Supper. I would say, okay, that's that's another problem. Because how do we truly know Jesus? Well, God, by his grace, has given us these means of grace. But we want to be careful to not view them as the end. To not view them as the end. But at the end of the day, it's okay. How do we consider well our relationship with Christ and conforming our hearts to think and feel and act like Jesus himself. So to do that, we're going to look at a a few passages this morning. These aren't the only ones, but some passages that help us define our relationship to Christ. So three passages in particular. Uh, It's going to be 2 Corinthians 11, verses 1 to 3, and then we'll look at Colossians a little bit in Colossians 1 and Colossians 2. So if you want to turn to 2 Corinthians 11, 1 to 3. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 11, 1-3, is using this metaphor of marriage to talk about being united to Christ. And again, marriage is not the only picture and metaphor that we are given in Scripture of our relationship to God. There's, of course, the reality, the picture that God is a shepherd, he's the good shepherd, and we are his sheep. There's the picture that he is our father, and we are his children. He is the vine, and we are the branches, and on and on we can go. But marriage in particular seems to be one of the prominent metaphors to describe, both in the Old and New Testament, to describe this covenantal relationship that we have with God. And so we'll look at that here in a little bit in 2 Corinthians 3. And just to set up the other two passages, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, we're going to catch a glimpse of who this bridegroom of Jesus Christ is. What is his resume? What does he bring to our marriage? And then in Colossians 2, verses 1 to 15, we're going to look at some of these, what should be life changing benefits and realities that Christ brings to us as we are united to Him by faith. So let's start with 2 Corinthians 11, verses 1 to 3, this reality that we are married to Christ. Can someone read that aloud for us? Thank you. Yes, you can see in there even that the end of that passage, these few short verses, that our thoughts can in fact be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And so we want to consider, okay, where do we find the most competition in our life for a sincere and pure devotion to Christ? Because there's some spiritual warfare happening there. Did you guys catch that? The serpent who deceived Eve by his cunning... And then he connects that our thoughts can be led away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. This isn't just us trying to white knuckle this, there is spiritual warfare happening that does want to bring other things to the surface to compete with our ultimate devotion to Christ. And, and these can be many things, right? We even mentioned some of these last week. It could be the approval of others, it could be career success, it could be physical health, a comfortable lifestyle, and on and on we could go. And yet, in in stark contrast to those things, Paul presents a vision of life that makes Christ the most important and cherished thing in our lives. All of the other things that we mentioned, those are not bad things to be thought well of by those who we love and, and care about. It's not a bad thing to do well in your career. It's not a bad thing to have good physical health. But do we view those things more as secondary? More as praise God if they're there. But if they're not there, I have Christ. I have Christ. You can see how there's a competition in our hearts daily for that devotion to him, that spiritual warfare. And so while those blessings can be appropriately enjoyed, Paul's concern here for the Corinthians as well as for us is that we don't forget about Jesus himself. And so Paul uses here and he sets up the table for us here of using what should be and is when it's in a healthy relationship, the most intimate picture of a human relationship, that of marriage. And he's trying to say, guys, this is a picture of your relationship with Jesus. It's intended to be that intimate. It's intended to be that personal, as we consider the person of Jesus himself. And so, being married to Christ means that we are the recipients of His affection. Consider that. Jesus' affections for you as a part of the body of Christ, as His bride. Consider the affections that I personally can struggle with often. I think that might be one of the reasons why gentle and lowly, for those that read that book, was just so significant for so many. It's hard to consider that his heart towards us really is gentle and lowly, that he really views us in the way of a husband looking at his bride. And uh, so, you know, we gave some examples of what, in fact, could be some of these um, false saviors that we will often turn to that can really have our affections that we can run to for refuge and run to for comfort and purpose in life. Did you guys want to mention, I'd love to hear from you guys, just a few that come to mind for you as well. Again, these might not necessarily be bad things, but things that seem to compete and raise to the surface. Give us some examples of those. TV shows. TV, TV shows, sure, yeah. Time, comfort, yeah. Unplugging. Turning off the brain for a little bit, yeah. Could be a good thing when done well, but Man. The hours that can go into that can be significant. Yeah? Anyone else? Social media. Social media. Man, some of the most brilliant brains of our generation are getting us to just click on things and stay inside of an app for hours. Yeah, that can affect us, can't it? That's good. Maybe one or two others. Yeah. Hobbies, yeah. Just general activities. Yeah, hobbies. That's really good. Yeah, those even good things can be our time and energies and even planning our weeks can be centered around those things. Yeah. Anyone else? Maybe one more. Yeah, Josh. Relationships. Relationships. Amen. Relationships where the yeah, consideration of our relationship with Christ and then considering those relationships, that can get flipped often. Or we can even forget about our relationship with christ if relationships are actually going well sometimes but so those are really good know
1: it's one thing i think we've said here before that if you look at your bank statement and what you're spending money on often it gives an insight into oh that's what i'm really treasuring that's what my saviors and loves and gospels may actually be so if any of you are like I think I want to reflect more on this. That might be an exercise you could do when you go home to look at your base statement. And does it reflect where you know you want your treasures to be, or does it reflect something
0: different? Yeah, amen. <clears throat> yeah, and so Paul here, he he really seems to be speaking with the just a t- intensity of like a father speaking to his children. Like I don't want your devotion to be taken away to a different place, to a different false lover, to a different false gospel of refuge. But for him to help us to see that Jesus, in this picture of a bride and and his groom, he doesn't just tolerate us. He doesn't just tolerate us and put up with us. He loves us intensely. And that's one of the beauties of the gospel. And so it's good to consider, even this week, with a brother, with a sister in Christ, with with a spouse, with a friend, with a roommate, what are those things that seem to compete for that place in, in our hearts? And so um, what we see in this passage is that, again, the most important relationship and circumstance of my life at any moment, in any given moment, what's most important? It's the reality that I am married to Christ. And that foundational relationship alters and should alter the way that I approach and we approach everything else. And so Paul's concern for the Corinthians' sincere and pure devotion to Christ models how my relationship with Christ should affect my agenda for my own life in a good way. And so there are many models of the Christian life, right, that can creep in, where it can feel more like a business transaction with God. Uh, Others where it's kind of a well-planned program. If I could just be more disciplined, that's the key. Now again, discipline's a good thing, right? It can discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. But sometimes we can become so rigid where the Christian life should just be a well-planned program. Or even just an educational pursuit. I just want to, if I can just get more knowledge, if I can get more knowledge, there's going to be a magic click at some point where I quote unquote get it. But again, Paul is reminding us that the Christian life is much more intimate, much more personal, much more comprehensive than all of those things. And so uh, the authors of How People Change point to three significant implications of our own union with Christ. The three things they list, I think it's on your handout. Number one is if I am spiritually married to Christ, then the core of my present life is not present personal happiness, but spiritual purity. It's not present personal happiness, but spiritual purity. Now, again, we want to be careful here because I actually agree when John Piper says that we are uh, that God is most glorified when we are happiest in Him. So, we're not saying that we just kind of like you know curmudgeon around the Christian life, like how can I be spiritually pure? How can I be spiritually pure? How can I? Be? And we just become the Debbie Downers all the time in our Christian life. That's not what we're saying, but it is saying that ultimately. Am I concerned about my pure and sincere devotion to Christ and considering the fact that I am married to Him? Or am I ultimately concerned about, well, how does that make me feel in this given moment? How can I be happy in life? Well, again, that is an outflow and and it should be an outflow. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit as we consider who Jesus is in His Word, in the body of Christ, by the power of the Spirit. And so at the core of it isn't just our personal happiness. But that's one of the reasons why we want to guard so fiercely against sin. Sin is after our relationship to Christ. Sin is after our joy that we find in Christ. And so how is it that we really fight hard for that sincere and pure devotion to Christ? Number two, my betrothal to Christ gives this passage that we just read a now and then structure. There's a now and then to it, right? There's a sense in which we are married to Christ. And there's a sense in which we are not <laughs> We're not there yet, are we? <laughs> this is not the marriage supper of the Lamb. The wedding day has now fully arrived. So there's almost a way in which it feels a little bit like an engagement period, right? There's this already but not yet. There are benefits to this present day, but they're not fully realized just yet. And so how is it, though, does, that the reality that we are married to Christ impact this day as we prepare for that day when we get to be with Him? Consider that the already but not yet of the Christian life. Third thing for Paul, the Christian life is more than having devotions, giving money, and participating in ministry. Those are all really good things. And I would say those are things that mark a true Christian. But it's actually possible to do all of those things without Christ at the center of our lives. We can have devotions, we can be generous in our giving, we can participate in serving others in ministry and give little to no consideration of who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? What do I think and feel about him? Does the person of Jesus have any implication for my present day life? And so Paul's Christianity is intensely relational. And so if it's true that Christ is the only prize worth living for, then we have to believe and trust that He really is that wonderful, that amazing, that worth it to give our lives to Him. And so, uh, does someone want to read for us our next passage here? Colossians 1, verses 15 to 23, as we consider our bridegroom Christ. Colossians 1, verses 15 to 23. That's who you're married to. That's who you're married to. I mean, think of those descriptions and, and the names and the qualities, the character qualities of Christ, the, the, the roles that he has that we just read and how that should affect the way that we and can affect the way that we approach life, right? If, we're, if we find ourselves married to a rich person, it's natural to think that money won't be much of an object for us. If we find ourselves married to a mechanic, it's reasonable to think my car is going to run well. I don't have to worry about My car is going to break down. Who's going to fix it? If I'm married to a chef, you can expect to eat really, really good. I happen to be. Praise God for that. Um, It's very true. So how should it shape the way that we think about life if this is who we're married to? Right. We're not going to go through all of these, but I would just love to hear from you guys. We'll do a few of them. All right, since Jesus is God, then what? Someone fill in the blank for that. Since he is God, then what? What does that mean? I have nothing to fear. I have nothing to fear. God literally speaks. <laughs> and <whoa. laughs> Since he since Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, then what? What does that mean for now, for today? He's the firstborn of a new creation. Well, I'll say it, we as his now family of Christ get to be a part of this new creation increasingly so. There is a new creation. The old is passing away, the new is coming. Since all things were were created for Christ, then what? All things were created for him. What does that mean? That we are created for him. Consider that. We are created for Jesus. To know him and to make him known. I'll mention just uh, one more here. Since he is the sustainer of all things, then what does that mean? He is the sustainer of all things. He He sustains us. We are included in the all things. He sustains us in every single season of life. So spend some time again this week. Look at this passage. Fill out some of these blanks for yourselves. So again, everything I ultimately need. Think about that. Everything I ultimately need has been provided for me by Christ. In Him there is fullness of life and joy. So the ways in which I don't experience that today, it's not because of Jesus. It's because He's trying to grow me more and more to experience that fullness and joy that He experiences with the Father. And that's why, again, we need all the things we've talked about. The Word of Christ, the Body of Christ, the Spirit of Christ to help us get there more and more. He is our Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer our true husband. And so now we want to look at now this next part of Colossians, and we're going to hone in on a few verses that we just read, as well as then the first 15 verses of chapter 2. But now, what does this look like now for our blessings? The blessings of present-day reality of being united with Christ. What does that mean? What are the benefits to being married to this incredible, incredible husband that we just read about. So someone read for us. Read, read for us. Colossians 1, 21 to 23. And then take a deep breath and go all the way through verse 15 of chapter 2.
2: which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. having been buried within the baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Mm. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over
0: them in Him. Hey man, I know one of my biggest fears when I was about to get married to Melissa was like, oh man, there's somebody that's actually going to know who I am now. That's scary. What are they going to do with that? And, and what, a, what a beauty it is, a beautiful picture it is, in marriage or really in any relationship, When we are fully known by someone and they love us anyways. Not that they don't want us to change, (laughs) right? It's not like there's things I want you to grow in. But that they love us anyways. That is our relationship with Christ himself. And now we see here, though, what's beautiful about what Paul just did here in Colossians 1 and 2 is he puts this description of Christ against this this realistic description of who we are. And so those are some of the things that I think you may have listed in your notes there, right? All these things are true of us apart from Christ. Apart from Christ. We are guilty of sin and alienated from God. Think about those two words that he uses. We are guilty and we are full of shame. We are sinners who are guilty and full of shame. We are alienated and enemies of God. Sin stains us and separates us from God. That's who we are outside of Jesus before this marriage takes place, alienated from God and sinners. Number two, we are foolish and blind. That's one of the things that the terrible things that sin does to us is reduces us to fools. We are easily deceived, and even Paul talked about being attracted to follow empty philosophies, empty ideas, empty ways of living our best life now with arguments that sound right, but they ultimately lead us away from Christ. Why? Because outside of Him, we are foolish and blind. Third one, we are powerless and we are enslaved. See that in verses 9 to 15, right? Paul uses this powerful description of how trapped and helpless we are when he says in verse 13 that we are dead. When you're dead, what are you able to do to improve your condition?
3: Nothing.
0: Nothing. We are dead outside of Christ. Any growth in Christ, any step towards God is supernatural. And so one of the beauties of this passage is it's trying to help us see ourselves accurately so that we can come to the conclusion that only in our relationship with Christ will we find what we need to grow in Him, to see Him rightly, to relate to each other rightly, to see myself rightly. Everything, everything we need is found in Him and it would help us to grow in our celebrating this reality that we've been granted a relationship with Him and increase our desires to pursue Him every day if we consider who we are outside of Him and then we consider what it is that He brings to our relationship and how it perfectly meets all the things we just talked about. Christ, the person and work of Christ, matches perfectly all the things we just talked about. You'll see that there, I think, also in your notes. Number one, Jesus is our justifier, this passage tells us in Colossians 1 and 2. Him being our justifier helps the reality that we, outside of Him, are guilty and alienated. He justifies us now. We are no longer stained with guilt. We are no longer alienated and isolated in our shame. His life, death, and resurrection frees us from those things. And in His sight, Because, ultimately, we are given the record of Christ. In God's eyes, we are holy and without blemish and free from accusation from the enemy. That is truly amazing. That that reality is there. Though, again, progressive sanctification, we're not fully there yet. So we want to fight to get there, but it's amazing that that now is our reality. He is our justifier. We are no longer guilty and alienated. Number two, Jesus is our wisdom. Paul tells us, right? We are foolish and blind. Praise God. Jesus is our wisdom. We don't have to be foolish anymore. We don't have to be blind anymore. In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and he frees us from captivity to our own foolishness. There is a way forward. There is wisdom that can be had for us in Jesus. Now, third thing, Jesus is our power. We find power in Christ. We are no longer powerless and enslaved, even if it feels that way. Jesus is up to something more if we feel stuck. There's some deeper competing desires down there that keep springing up in these areas of sin we might find ourselves entangled in. And Jesus is our power. He can help us to see what that is and he can give us the power to grow in fighting that sin and increasingly finding freedom in that sin and finding grace when we do fail. And so we have this new power to live as Jesus intended for us to live, to have the fullness of life in him. And so, why is it so important to review these things? Why is it so important to consider these things regularly and often in our lives and with each other? Well, it's because this is the foundation, right? Accepting who it is that we truly are in Christ and believing who Christ truly is. Those significant identity things. Who is Jesus? And because of that, who am I? significant life foundation questions. And so everything we do will be shaped by the degree to which we believe and act upon these realities that are ours in Christ or the extent to which we forget that they're there. And we try to find wisdom outside of Jesus in our own strength or try to fight and find power and do a self-improvement project on ourselves in our own strength. And so how this kind of works then in daily life, right? If we are carrying around guilt... We can be tempted to then try to hide and excuse it or blame others or rationalize it and to cover up our shame if we're leaning into our own strength versus enjoying the freedom of confession and the joy of forgiveness that is there in Jesus. Or if we're forgetting that we in and of ourselves are foolish, we will be tempted to just toss out real quick pat answers to people's sufferings and questions. Or give just kind of tiny one-liners that we think, oh, this should help you immediately in that moment. Or find a quick solution. Or find kind of human formulas to help us out of the plight that we're in. Or surface-level techniques that never truly get to the root and the core of problems. Instead of enjoying the lasting fruit that comes from following the wisdom of Christ that wants us to consider our hearts before Him, who He is, and the means of grace He's given us to go to war. To grow in Christ. Also, if we forget our weakness, that we are weak outside of Him, we will be tempted to reduce the Christian life to a simplistic list of rules and behaviors, a checklist of rules and behaviors, while being blind to the serious gaps in our own relationship to Christ. Now, again, I think checklists can actually be very helpful to not forget these regular means of grace to consider, man, how have I done this past week, and things that I know will help me know Jesus. I think checklists can be very helpful. But if you see every box checked and there's no consideration to, okay, what, is that, what does that mean for how I think about Jesus this week, today? What has worship been like in light of those checklists? Then we've really missed kind of the core and the heartbeat of what it seems the Lord is trying to, to get us to. And so as we come to Christ, the change that takes place is much more than change just in our circumstances, relationships, or our status. We become different at the deepest spiritual level. We are transformed by Christ. We are new creations in Christ. We were once dead, now we're alive. Our hearts were once totally enslaved to sin, but now we can find freedom in Christ. Our hearts were once hard as a stone, couldn't hear God's truth if you hammered us over the head with it, but now they're soft and open to hear from the Lord. And so these changes, these are the result of our union with Christ. And they are so fundamental and foundational that, again, it is what informs 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says that we are new. We are new in Him. We are new creatures. We have a new marriage relationship with Jesus, the Redeemer, ourself. And so because I'm united to Him, I'm a new creature who's being renewed daily by His Spirit. Because I am united to him, the power of sin has been broken, and its presence in my heart is being progressively eradicated. This is what the Christian life is ultimately about. A person. Not a formula. Not a set of disciplines, but a person named Jesus. And so, with joy then, we can affirm that we are in him. And now it gives us the freedom and humility to confess that there is still sin in my heart, and I know I need to change. If we're being conformed to the image of Jesus, that's not hard for me to go, I'm not there yet. It shouldn't surprise me. It shouldn't surprise me that I still have work to do, that I still have work that needs to be done. But again, the way that we go about the sin is not like, oh, I'm such a worthless failure. Again? What's wrong with me? Because self becomes the center of that evaluation versus, gosh, Lord, forgive me. I, it makes... It perfect sense to me that I can be tempted towards those sins. It makes perfect sense to me that I can find myself forgetting who Jesus is and what that means for my daily life. Help me. Help me. Thank you that you will help me. Thank you that you won't leave me. Thank you that you have given me your word. Thank you, you've given me these brothers and sisters in Christ. Imperfect vessels that we are, we are carrying around a treasure. Amen. A treasure. Named Jesus. And so we can help ourselves in these ways. Last thing I mentioned, if we had more time, we would uh, look at uh, Philippians chapter 3, kind of verses 4 to 7, to consider okay, how it is that we react to these glorious imbalances in our marriage with Christ, right? <laughs> the fact what I bring to the marriage with Jesus and what he does, how do I react to that? Do I try to make myself worthy of my marriage to him? Clean myself up? Do I be like, ah, I don't believe him. No, I'm too worthless. (laughs) I'm a different kind of sinner than these other sinners he's been able to redeem and be closely intimate with. How do we react to these glorious imbalances? Uh, If we had time, we look at Philippians 3, 4, and 7 to look 4 to 7 to see how Paul considers his accomplishments and what he brought and how those things are, to him they mean nothing. They don't add anything to his relationship with Jesus. His accomplishments. And even honestly, his his failures. And so this week, again, consider how will the truth of being married to Christ change the way that we respond to difficult things that we may be going through in life? The loss of a job, working at a dead-end job, burdens as a single parent, the death of a ministry dream, an injury, disease, or death of a loved one, chronic illness, difficult marriages, a friend's betrayal, financial hardship, Chronic loneliness, career advancement, financial blessing, a great marriage, obedient and well-mannered children, and perfect health. What does the fact that you're married to Christ mean for any of those things today? If what we just talked about this morning is true, a lot. (laughs) A lot. As we live in this already but not yet reality of the Christian life. So again, last week, God's taking you somewhere. Future hope and how it intersects with life in the present this week. Who's going to get us there? How are we going to get there? A relationship, a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus who brings to the table all the things we just looked at. Anything you want to mention before we open it up for questions?
1: Yeah, one final thought or metaphor is, I don't know about you guys, but I was not not taught this growing up. I was really taught something different, which honestly was heresy, that uh, people, or Christians in particular, could be carnal, that Christians could actually not change, that they could kind of just stay the same, and that really awesome Christians would grow, but that a lot of us would just kind of remain as we were. So I I actually was taught that growing up. I don't know, maybe some of you have grown up here in the church and you've gotten this good truth. I didn't. And so God used a lot of different things um, to reach me and help me um, repent from that heresy and come to see what's true. Um, Well, before I talk about that, a couple things that can happen, right, when you believe that change is optional in the Christian life, that it may or may not happen. Either, right, you get really complacent in your sin and you say, like, no, it's not a big deal. I'm still Christian. You know, that's when we talk about heaven being like fire insurance, right? At least I'm not going to go to hell. I'll go to heaven. Or the other thing that can happen is God's laws feel like a burden and a really heavy weight. Like, man, I know I'm supposed to change, but I have no idea how. And I'm just not awesome enough. Like, I'm not one of those amazing Christians who's really disciplined and really godly or really smart or whatever it is, you know, whatever formula you fill in of, well, I guess that's how they really change, but repenting and turning from that and learning the truth of actually it's God who changes us, right? Like, if we're in him, we are going to be changed. Um, One of the things that the Lord used, he used a lot of things, um, this if you're a teen here this illustration might not make sense to you so you can ask somebody slightly older but do you guys remember in the early days of email the chain forwards that you would get you know if you're a christian you'll forward this email and you know like a lot of them were like the student and the professor or they'd be you know just really cliche stories well actually I think the Lord actually used one of them <laughs> uh, in my life there was one um I was talking about like a conversation between a child and either a Sunday school teacher or their parent, just trying to understand how is it that God can be in me because I'm a tiny little human and God's infinite. Like that doesn't make sense. And So um, there's a little bit of dialogue back and forth as those chain forward emails usually had. But I remember there was one comment written by the child where the child said, So if God is so much bigger than me, and if he's in me, then shouldn't he push out and like show through? Which was kind of the point of the story. And I remember that being really impactful for me personally of, oh, that's what that doctrine of the perseverance of the saints means. It's not about the saints, it's about the Lord. Mm -hmm. We change because of who he is, because Mm -hmm. he's faithful. So if we're his people, He's going to change us, mm-hmm. not because I'm awesome, not because I'm disciplined, not because I haven't figured out, not because I'm really great at persevering, but because he is, you know, right? Like it's that verse, mm-hmm. that's five, like he who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. Mm-hmm. So that's what this course is about. That's just another metaphor mm-hmm. image for you to think of, of the little kid of like, if God is bigger than me and he's in me, then he will show. Mm. And that's okay. exactly Amen. what we're
0: talking about. In this Amen. Yeah, and even I'll just mention one, one other thing too. That's one of the things that we need the body of Christ to help us with is to see evidences of graces in each other's lives. Hey, I just want you to know I'm seeing you grow. I'm actually seeing you change. That can be so easy to forget. I can be like, ah, why am I still whining about this? Wife can be like, hey, you're less whiny than you were. <laughs> now I'm not going to stop at that point and be like, I've arrived. And i would be like, hey, thanks, babe. I guess I am a little less whiny. Like we need that hope of, hey, God's working. He's working. Or even when somebody reaches out, when they reach out to either confess sin or ask for some hard things, that's one of the first things I'll say to them. I just want you to know God's working. That's an evidence of grace in your life that you just brought that to the light. That you are willing to reach out for help because all of us need help all the time. And God's working. Be encouraged. All right, we've got about, uh, I think, six-ish minutes. Any questions? Questions, comments, uh, pushback, BWAs, the but what abouts, Danny, but what about anything? Yes, Eric. I was, just comment, like you mentioned last week, I was thinking about the, the account of Mary and Martha and how instructive that is in this whole conversation. Yeah. As Martha was doing good, we're called to serve. Yeah. We're called to love one another. Amen.
3: Or whatever, yeah, but really saying that it's, it's not selfish, hmm. And, and Gosh, that, because that's what we need. That's, that's how you know that he loves us. Gosh, strength all that stuff. Because I mean, he says to Martha, he said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, hmm.
2: but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen that good
0: portion which will not be taken away from her. Gosh, that's beautiful. What a great, that's a great passage to meditate on this week. Mary and Martha. And just how you said that, Eric, about it's not selfish to sit at the feet of Jesus and be fed. Gosh, I needed to hear that this morning. Thank you, brother. Seriously. Gosh, that's good. Anyone else? Yes, Kevin. Kevin.
3: Yeah, Yeah.
0: Yeah. when you feel stuck in the Christian life. What are some things we can do when we feel stuck? Yeah, it's a great question, especially when we're seeing ourselves grow. And again, the question is, okay, where do we take that stuck That's revealing, right? Do we turn inward on ourselves and be like, Ah, man, I just got to discipline myself. I'm going to get up at 2 a.m. tomorrow. I'm going to get after it so I can feel better about the week. Or do we go, yeah, of course you get stuck because you're, you're worthless. You're a phony. You're a less than Christian. Or do we go stuck and be like, ah, Lord, spiritual warfare. Right? Spiritual warfare. How am I stuck? How do I engage Jesus in my stuckness? And again, that's where one of the beauties of the body of Christ is like, hey, brother, sister, I'm stuck, man. I just feel like I've been spiritually dead in this season. Would you pray for me? Hey, can we get together, and just open up God's Word and pray together? It doesn't have to be that intense, that significant. It can look a lot of different ways, but where do we take our stuckness is significant. Yeah, that's a great, anything you'd add to being stuck? Well,
1: and even, and that's why, that's a great point about, like, having that conversation with other brothers or sisters, yeah. because they might look at your life and say, I don't see that, I don't see that you're stuck right now, I see that. You're being really faithful, and mm. you're just plodding along, and maybe it feels like a lot of big things haven't changed, but... I do still see the Lord growing you. You know, you might have that conversation. Or it might be, no, I really am stuck, or I really am battling the sin, or I really am struggling to grow in these ways. Um, but it can just be really helpful to talk with others because there is, I think, especially in our culture, this temptation to think that growth will be instant or, you know. Or always, constant
0: and steady. Right.
1: right. That it's just always going to look like this. when it, um, <laughs> it looks, Yeah, whatever that is, that whole motion, yeah. <laughs> and i feel like we know this motion so much in our own lives That's, yeah. but that god's over that and so much even of the like i think if it always looked like this then it would be more tempting to rely on myself or to think that i had something to do with it versus when it's kind of like this then it's like oh i trust you lord why am i stuck And then he'll grow you and you'll go, Oh my goodness, you're so faithful. And then you'll feel like you're stuck again. And it's just that like continual reliance and so sometimes even the the waves are part of them doing that. Mm. that
0: That's good. (laughs) Yeah. It
1: makes sense
0: to do. Well I I think of that picture of you know the Christian life being like, you know, if we're the yo yo, it's a yo yo but it's on an escalator. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I love that picture. (laughs) Right? And the Lord is the Someone come up with a gif (laughs) with a yo yo on an escalator. I'm like that's what it feels like the Christian life is there's heresy in that let me know that too <laughs> later <laughs> Garrett, we'll find the that's right he'll, oh yeah Garrett will find a Jeff. will yeah, we'll, he'll, he'll find that. it maybe uh one or two more questions or comments yes just so,
2: so i think it's easy uh to think of
0: christ as like king mm. priest prophet yeah. yeah as a man harder to think of christ as my husband mm-hmm. and sure yeah. For the women to imagine that? Yeah. How do you... Yeah, Where do we take that? that yeah. It's yeah. great. It's a great question. Yeah, Justin's saying, hey, like, as a guy, like, I want to think about Jesus as my, my bridegroom, but that can feel strange at times, too. Yeah, so I would say, again, it's that idea of using human language to try to point to greater realities. So, again, ideally, the most intimate relationship, right, the two shall become one the most intimate relationship that's the picture that's being used about my relationship to Jesus so I don't think about it as much as like I'm gonna be like there's gonna be a wedding day and I'll be standing there with my flower like I don't think that as much as like wow like I'm gonna be one with him like I am one with him like he's gonna know me that in deeply and if you really want to get trippy the fact that okay two people husband and wife getting married on earth to become one but like the picture in the Bible is that we are all collectively the bride of Christ like wait what What kind of intimacy are we going to have with each other if we're like kind of one person in that picture? Like To think that my best relationship here on earth won't even be worth comparing to my worst relationship in heaven and that this relationship somehow is going to get better is like... So I think it's the idea of the personal intimacy that's there in the relationship with Christ. So great question. I think it's a very thoughtful thing to consider, especially as as men. Yeah. And then maybe
1: even one extra step that you could take is for all the men here, what is it like for women? Like, how do I, if you are married, really listen to my wife's experience mm. being married? Mm. What's that like for her? And then that will be instructive for you, even on your relationship with the Lord. You see, like, just even that earthly picture, yeah, earthly picture. You can extend to like, wow, like that's my that's actually my experience then With Christ in certain ways. So, just the ways in which, as we love and listen to one another here on earth, that is going to feed our relationship vertically with the Lord.
3: Yeah, that's good.
0: Yeah. All right. If you have more questions, I can linger. Uh, It is kind of time here, so let me pray us out. And uh, we'll, Lord willing, do this again next week. Lord, Father in heaven. You have given us an incredible, incredible reality of being married to Christ. Father, we, all the things we just talked about, this person of Jesus, all the things He brings to the table, those are now ours because of Him. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm finds their yes in Jesus. They are ours. And so, Lord, would you help us to consider that in the present day? Who is this person? Father, if our hearts feel dead considering the name of Jesus today, would you help us to cry out, cry out for help, confess to another brother or sister in Christ and say, would you help me? I know that Jesus is more beautiful than I'm seeing him right now. I know that I am tempted to think about what I bring to the table in my relationship with him than what he brings. I know that his redeeming me as his bride has little implications as I consider my daily struggles today. Father, would you help us to see that we are freed in Him. We have power in Christ so that we can confess and we can fight and find joy as we battle against the flesh, as we battle against Satan and the spiritual armors, as we battle against the thinking of the world that would push you to the margins or get rid of you altogether. Help our church to grow in being the body of Christ, to point each other to Jesus as we engage Jesus in His Word by His Spirit in the fellowship that you've given us here at Delray Baptist Church. Lord, help us, help us, help us, help us to change in these ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.